party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Ow, ow, ow. My back. I took the air myself. Stop the music. Stop it. You can edit all this out. Ow, help me, Neil. Don't just stare at a human like this. Ow. Roll the nominees. Roll the nominees. Good evening, Kairos. Hey, my name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here. I'm so glad that we get to worship together. Um, I hope that you all have a great break. But before we do, let's go ahead and finish up our series called Worship. What are we doing? I'll explain to you why I showed you that clip in just a minute. But before we do, let's go ahead and talk about what we're talking about tonight. In this series, what are we doing about worship? We're trying to talk about, like, what's the point of everything that we do? So week one, we talked about baptism. Like, what's up with that? Week two, we talked about communion. Week three, we talked about praise. Then this week, we're talking about something called confession. And confession is something that people are oftentimes afraid of. And I wonder why we're afraid of it. There was actually a study that came out um, in 2020. And this came out of, uh, of, uh, of that little school in Massachusetts called Harvard. Anyway, but what they found out was among the greatest fears of people in the top five is getting caught. Isn't that interesting? Among the top five most common fears for people, it is getting caught. And it makes you wonder, like, what has everyone done? Until you start to think, well, I... I don't want to get caught. See, when we get caught, it almost feels like we've fallen. It almost feels like we're down and we can't get back up. And what do we need when we fall? We need a helping hand, don't we? See, you saw in that opening clip that sometimes it's funny when people fall, when they get caught, when they get trapped, as long as they're not hurt, right? Like when it's just a joke like Jimmy Fallon is making there. Jimmy Fallon was Jimmy Fallon. (laughs) Anyway, so that was good. Don't even. That was really good. But like, it shows, like, okay, like, it's kind of funny when somebody falls, but, but everybody does fall, don't we? Like, have you ever fallen? It's funny when you see somebody else fall, but what happens when you fall? Everybody falls. Do you notice that? And everybody falls in a different way. Have you ever watched how different people fall? I wonder if you can relate to any of these. If you're a tall person, do you ever notice tall people always fall like this? Are you ready? Legs straight up in the air. Like, do you ever watch an NBA basketball game? Like, every single time they fall, their legs just pop straight up. So if you're over the height of 6'5", I don't know what it is. It's just like, I still want to remind people I'm taller than you. Then there's also the destructive faller. Like, they're falling, and they're like, whoa, whoa, you know, and they're like shaking things, breaking things, and then sure enough, still they, right? They, like, they, they fall, they're down. Like, it didn't actually change anything. They still fell. There's the fall fighter. They're not necessarily destructive, but they're absolutely, like, determined. And it takes them, like, seven or eight steps, and, right? This is starting to really hurt, but I'm determined, and I'm not going to stop. Have you ever, like, missed the bottom step of the stairs? You think that it's done, and you're like, oh, no. I'm seriously going to get hurt, you guys. It's going to be bad. Should I keep going? Okay. Have you ever had the invisible string just pop up out of nowhere? In seventh grade basketball, I'm playing a game in front of friends and loved ones, and it's absolutely packed and wild at Waukee Middle School. At least that's how it was in my imagination. And I check into the game, and the first thing that happens to me is I just, invisible line, and I'm out. I need to stop. That one hurt. Okay. Like, do you ever notice something? 
when you do fall, you're reminded that like it's only funny to see other people fall. I didn't, I didn't plan this out well, so I don't know what to do with this. Let's just go ahead and put that right there. Like, it, it's only funny when other people fall, but like when you fall and all the eyes are on you, all of a sudden it, it, it's not so funny, right? Like all the eyes in the room could be on you and yet you feel so alone. When the Bible talks about sin, it compares it to falling. And I think that's so interesting. Here's how it puts it in Romans chapter three. Everyone has sinned. We all fall. Everyone say, we all fall. Can you show me that screen? We all fall short of God's glorious standard. When the Bible talks about like, what is sin? What is this thing that we do that sometimes gets us caught, that gets us messed up? It's, it's we fall. And every single one of us falls. Now, as Christians, because we know that people fall, including us, we should not be people that join the mocking choruses, but instead we should be people that embrace other people's confession, that embrace other people when they admit when they've done wrong, that embrace people when they say, I have fallen and I need a way back up. Here's how it puts it in James chapter 5. It says, confess your sins to each other. And that's really scary. Because among the top five scariest things for people is the fear of getting caught. But James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sometimes people don't feel like they fit in in Christian circles because they think the church is just a community of saints. People say that thing all the time, right? Oh, well, I'm not a saint, so I wouldn't fit in. I'm not a saint. But why are people saints? You realize people aren't saints because they never fall, right? Instead, Romans chapter 3, going back to that, it reminds us, God in his grace freely names us right and makes us right in his sight. He does this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So if we go back to that, the church is a community of sinners made saints by Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a saint. Now turn to the person next to you again and say, but you're also a sinner. Listen, Christians, we're not saints alone. We're saints only because we're made that way by Christ, who sees us and knows us even in our sin, but refuses to leave us there. He sees us when we fall, and rather than laughing at us and joining the chorus, he gets down onto the mat with us, and he shows us the way back up. The church is a community of sinners, and we are only made saints through Christ. Here's how Karl Barth put it. If we confess our virtues, it's going to create a very, very unhealthy environment, a very, very unhealthy community, because if we confess our virtues, we're competitors. You ever just try to pull out your resume for other people to see? Maybe it's not your literal physical paper resume, but instead it's just you talking about the things that you've done, trying to make sure that you can outdo the person next to you. Or do you ever have this issue when you see that somebody else is succeeding, you immediately have to think about what your successes are? Or immediately when someone has something to tell you about how proud they are about what they've done, you immediately have to bounce back and tell them about what you've done? When we confess our virtues, the things that we do well, we're just competing with each other. And there's no relationship in that. But when we confess our sins, when we admit that every single one of us falls, we meet each other in a common place and we're brothers and sisters. 
When we confess our virtues, we're competitors. But when we confess our sins, we're brothers and sisters. Do you see this? Confession is not something that we have to be afraid of because confession is not actually a burden, but confession is a gift of grace. Everybody say that word, grace. Grace is this beautiful word that shows up over and again in the Bible. And it is God freely pouring his love out for you. The best part about a gift is you cannot earn it. You just get to receive it. Confession is not a burden, but it is a gift of grace. Now, I do know, I understand because of the examples that we see in society, we know why we don't want to admit our weaknesses. Now, the example I'm going to use here is not someone confessing their sin, but it's someone admitting their weaknesses. And when someone has to admit the things that they fall short on, oftentimes people will scold them for it. Do you remember in the Olympics back in Tokyo when Simone Biles was just dominating the world going into it? Just, I mean, on top of it. Here's Simone Biles. And then about midway through the gymnastics meet, it was like day two or three or something, she decided she was going to pull out. She wasn't in a mental headspace where she could keep her body safe as she was competing. And rather than everybody embracing her, if you read the tweets and if you saw what the media was saying about her, some people were actually just tearing her apart publicly. Somebody said she was a disgrace to the country because she didn't want to fling her body 58 feet in the air when she wasn't feeling mentally up to it. But you know what's interesting? While some people scolded her for it, there were other people who embraced her in it. And she said this about those people. The outpouring of love and support I've I've received has made me realize that I'm more than my accomplishments and gymnastics, which I've never truly believed before. Simone Biles said that. I mean, arguably the greatest athlete in her sport of all time. She's that dominant. And yet she's saying that there's something even better than what she can do out on the mat, whether she stands or she falls. See, confession is more than therapeutic. We're not just confessing because it feels good. Because I know that sometimes the trick with confession is, well, I just want to throw it all out there and see somebody catch it. See, confession has boundaries. Confession has safety rules to it too, if you will. Confession is not something that you just simply pour out on social media for everybody to see because it's not safe for you. And maybe it's not fair to the people who are closest to you as well, the people who that sin might involve. But so confession is not just therapeutic, oh, it just feels good to pour it out and word vomit it out there. No, confession is actually transformative. Like it actually changes us. Here's how we saw it in the reading today. If we're not confessing, like if we don't talk about the things that we've actually done wrong, first to God and then to the people who we've sinned against, well, if we claim we have no sin, it says in 1 John, um, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. Like it's, it's living a lie. And do you ever notice how hard it is to keep up lies? You tell one lie and you think, okay, well, that's going to be easy. I just said it. It's done and it's finished. I can leave that in the past and now I can go live in the truth. But any lie that you've told, you have to remember it. You have to store it up. And then when that situation rears its head again, we have to pull that lie out and still live into that. It's impossible. It is this juggling act. And eventually we lose track of the balls being thrown in the air and we drop them. We fall. And we can continue to live in that facade that tells people, no, I'm a saint, and I'm a saint by myself alone. Or, as it 
points us to in 1 John, you heard this in the reading, if we confess our sins to him, Jesus is faithful just to forgive us, cleanses us from all wickedness. Do you see that? If you confess, it is Jesus who is faithful. I'm confessing that I wasn't faithful, but Jesus never lapses in his faithfulness to me. It's actually transformative. It changes us, it cleans us, it renews us, it restores us. It's not a burden, it's grace. It's not just therapeutic, I'm not just word vomiting. It's actually transformative. Because in Christ, confession does not condemn us. Confession does not judge us, but instead Jesus uses it to liberate us, to free us. Can I practice just a really quick exercise? If you have like anything in your pockets, whether it's like a pencil, a pen, your phone, pocket lint, whatever it might be, I want you to hold on to that and I want you to just squeeze it as hard as you possibly can. And then squeeze it harder, okay? And then squeeze it harder and then try squeezing it so hard that you might actually break your fingers, but don't, please don't do that. And then it starts to get really uncomfortable, right? And you're wondering, how long can I do this? And your forearms actually start to get sore. Are you still squeezing? Don't give up yet. And then what happens when you let go? There's this freedom. See, that's the interesting thing about confession. Like confession is this beautiful and incredible thing. It is freedom and it's so enjoyable that you may not have actually enjoyed that freedom if you had not sinned in the first place. I'm not telling you, the Bible tells you over and again, don't just go ahead and abuse God's grace and go sin wherever you want. Paul says this in the New New Testament. Oh, since we have God's grace, should we just abuse it and sin whenever we want? No, no, no. But the fact that when we do sin and we confess and Jesus still receives us, it actually gives us this insight into something so beautiful that we never would have experienced if we just kept on pretending we were perfect. To confess our sin and to know what it was like to carry those burdens, but instead be liberated from them and receive God's grace, we experience true and unconditional love. And there is no greater gift in the universe than that, than God's true and unconditional love. So that's kind of the introduction to confession and sin and what God does for us in it. It's kind of like this deeply theological, but on the surface, it can be a simple thing. It is simply acknowledging what we've done that did not live up to God's standard. And God always receives us when we do that. But we don't always handle it that way, do we? What are our other options? Like, how do other people handle guilt? Here's how it goes in Psalm chapter 32. It says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Anybody here try to keep up alive for so long? You're just trying to cover it up. When I was a kid, I don't know, like I, I was like three or four, like maybe four or five, really, really young. Like one of my first memories in our family room, there was this chair, and uh, it was like that really like, just kind of that mid-90s like cheap fabric, and I had one of those, um, I'm forgetting the word, uh, one of those like picks that like undoes, undoes like sewing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody have the word for that? Seam ripper. <laughs> That's so easy. Like, like, <laughs> That's like the simplest, most obvious thing in the world. A seam ripper. Okay, okay, great, awesome. That's why I like calling shoes foot covers. Like, okay, it's a seam ripper. And I found one in our house, and one day I start poking at this chair. 
And it's so like cheap, the fabric, but it feels so good. It's like therapeutic just to push into it and then I'm like, and like at first it was really fun, but then all of a sudden I look away, I'm like, oh no, I just ruined my parents' chair. And the story that my parents tell me is I covered it with like the most ridiculous pillows. Like I got the pillow from my bedroom that had like the major league baseball pillowcase on it. I brought it downstairs and just put it, looks good, but everyone's going to love that. And I'm just trying to hide it, right? But of course, eventually someone's going to see that. And I don't know how long it was, like what, three minutes, but when you're four, that feels like an eternity. I'm like walking past me, is anybody going to see this? How long? Keep on adjusting it. Like when we're not confessing our sin, it's like we're just covering something that we know is eventually going to come out. And you don't have to be afraid of being caught in it. God instead wants to receive us in it. But how do we handle it? How do people handle guilt? There are three things I want to talk about for how people handle guilt, and all of them are very unhealthy. And I think God wants to free us from it. Here's the first one. We bury our guilt. And again, in the Psalms, it says this, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. That's what it says in Psalm chapter 19, verse two. We bury it. So my dog, Denver, we just enrolled him in obedience class. Um, It's great. He's the worst one in the class by far. There's this other little golden retriever named Oliver. I hate him so much because he's just perfect, right? No, I I don't. He's a really cute dog. Um, But Denver's really cute too. But in obedience class, we have to, I'm competing. See what is happening? I'm not confessing Denver's sin. He's a failure. Anyway, and I'm a failure as a father. But in obedience class, like they're very, very heavy on like rewarding with treats, right? And so Denver is getting more treats than he's ever gotten in his entire life. Like, and it's, it's just so gratifying and satisfying to see him obey and do a command and take such joy in it because he just gets a little treat. He's like, yes, more, I'll sit. Yes, more, I'll follow. Yes, more, I'll leave that there. Give me a treat. And we're giving him like half a bag of treats. The problem is, is his tummy wasn't ready for that. Denver is about nine months old now. And I, I will say that this is pretty cool. Denver has never once gone to the bathroom on the carpet. What a guy, right? until Saturday morning. It was like two in the morning. I hear this whimpering outside the door. So I open our bedroom door. I open it. And there's Denver sitting down with his head just down like this. He's just like, I mean, I asked the vet. I'm like, can, can dogs like comprehend guilt? And he's like, oh yeah. And then Denver's sitting there with guilt. And then he starts walking. And then he looks back at me. And I'm like, what? And he starts walking. And he's, I'm like, oh, he wants me to follow him. It's incredible, this communication between dog and owner. And he takes me down the stairs. And he takes me to this piece of carpet. And there is his first uh, poo on the ground. I don't know how to say that like elegantly or eloquently. And he just, he just sat there, and, he, and as I cleaned it, I mean, it took a long time. Like, this was gross. It was not, like, nice and solid. And that's disgusting, but you know what I mean? As I'm cleaning it, Denver just sat in the corner quiet with his head down the entire time. Isn't it sad? He's just sitting there, he's like, I can't deal with this. You can, like, see him just, like, compressing that guilt, like, pushing it down within him. And I just screamed at him the whole, no, I'm kidding. I, like, I, was, I felt so bad for him. Like, we bury this guilt, and we expect that it's going to go away, but it won't, will it? Like, it's just going to come out, like, in our expressions and in our feelings. It's not good to bury our guilt. The things that we bury, they don't, come, they don't go away. They come back from the dead every single time. And in Denver's case, it's pretty gross. We can't bury our guilt. 
it doesn't do us any good. It's living a lie. It's covering the rips in the chair with a major league baseball pillow. It makes no sense. We bury our guilt, and sometimes we just blame others, though, too, don't we? We find blames for this. Psalm 51 tells us, have mercy on God because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my guilt. It's like this embracing of, no, I've done this. It's me. And I want to receive your grace, and I want to know just how good it is. But so often in this world, when we make a mistake, we blame it on the circumstances. When other people make a mistake, we just blame it on their character. We, we, we play this blame game, and we just throw it all over the place as if that's going to be the things that fixes it. We blame away guilt, but, but that's not doing any good either. It's just continuing to live in this lie. Instead, what if we were like that psalmist who could just say, have mercy on me, O God. I thought that this was really fascinating. This was from the University of Montreal. Guilt can actually be a good thing. Did you know that? Like when you're experiencing that guilt, you don't have to bury it. And you also don't have to blame it away. Instead, you can actually utilize it. Talking about the human brain, when we act in a way that we are not proud of, the brain broadcasts a signal that prompts us to alter our conduct. Like we're made to be relational beings. And when we do something that hurts someone else or isn't good or doesn't align with our beliefs, it messes with our brain in a way that our brain wants to alter that behavior. But in the same study, they also said that resisting this, which is altering our conduct, we grow numb to the behavior. So when we just blame it away, what are we doing? We're not actually dealing with it, are we? We're not getting down on the carpet and scrubbing up the stain. We're not dealing with it, but instead we're just pushing it away. And as we push it away, we just grow numb to it. We're desensitized to it. And so all of a sudden, telling a white lie doesn't feel that bad. Telling a big lie feels kind of okay. Cheating on an exam is just what I had to do. We just numb ourselves to it. We're desensitized to it. It's not good for us. The reason why we don't want to bury our guilt, the reason why we don't want to blame the guilt away is because it oftentimes leads to the third way that we deal with guilt, and it is we shame ourselves. Because we bury it, we blame it away, and we realize nothing's actually happening here. Nothing's actually changing, and we shame ourselves. Guilt turns into shame. If you've been coming to Kairos for more than like a year, you've heard us say this before. Guilt is the thing that says, I've done a bad thing, and shame is the thing that says, I am the bad thing. Please know this. You are not the problem. You carry problems that don't belong to you, but you are not the problem. Guilt says, I've done a bad thing, and that can be a good thing. But shame says, I am the bad thing, and it's paralyzing, it's crippling, it's not good for us. You hear this in song lyrics all the time, where like, people adopt a feeling, right? And they put it over their entire character. I heard a song this past week, and maybe you heard it too. It's, it's like become really, really famous. I'm going to try, can I try something? Okay, I'm going to try something. Okay, Holden, can you turn on the guitar? We're going to do this. I didn't know. I was debating, but we're going to do it. All right. If, uh, is this on? Hello? Check one, check two. Am I going to sound like Alondra and Abby? Okay, no. Okay, so I heard this, and I thought that was really interesting. Wow. There we go. Is there a pick? I don't need it. It's fine. Um, and and uh, if, if you... Do you, have you heard the song? I do this thing where I get older, but... You know what I'm talking about? What is... is anybody know the name of the song? Antihero. Antihero, right? By... Taylor Swift. Come on. If you know it, will you sing this with me? I do... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. 
All my fears are coming true. I do this thing where I get old. Okay, let's just sing the chorus, ready? It's me, hi, I'm here, it's me. You guys, I can't remember the lyrics right now, I'm so scared. All right, let's try it one more time, ready? It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me, it's G time. Let's just sing it. Anyway, so what she goes on to say is, I stare directly in the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be so hard rooting for the antihero. I'm not gonna do this at the nine o'clock. Not a chance. Woo! That's why you don't try to learn a song in a day. But what's she doing, right? Like, and I, don't get me wrong. Like, listen, I was 14 years old when Taylor Swift's first album came out in 2006. Don't call me a Swifty, but it's a lifestyle. You know what I mean? And don't even tell me that your generation knows Taylor Swift better than me. We brought her into this world, okay? I had this debate with people on staff this week, so I'm passionate about it right now. Like, and I, I love her music, but, but I think she's expressing something that we feel a lot. It's like, I'm just the problem. It's just me. I, I'm the issue. Must be exhausting having me around. And how many of us actually feel like that? Like, oh, it must be exhausting having me around. I'm the problem. I can't get things right. I've got really good news for you. God doesn't handle guilt the way that you do. God's not here to shame you. How does God handle guilt? I want to finish by talking about this. It says this in Psalm chapter 32. Finally. Everybody say, finally. finally. Say, finally. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion. I'll let it out. I'll come out of my hiding place. Here's what God does. You forgave me. All my guilt is gone. It's gone. I have a happy ending to that story where I ruined the chair in my family's house. The happy ending is not that the chair was miraculously fixed. The happy ending is not that we got a new chair. That chair continued to sit in our house for like 10 years. It was when my mom and dad came into the room. I, again, the story goes, I like hid behind a chair, like watching them from around, like, they're going to disown me? They can leave me? And they're like, what happened? I come out and I'm just bursting into tears. I'm crying, right? And they hugged me. I actually remember that. I literally, physically remember the embrace. One of my first memories, a core memory, if you will. <laughs> Love that. Like hiding places, we tell ourselves that's gonna be comfortable because it's the place where our fears won't be found out. It's the place where we won't be found out. But it's a hiding place, why? Because other people can't get to it. It's a dangerous place. You're not supposed to be there. You're not supposed to live there. You're supposed to live in love. You're supposed to be called a child. Unconditionally receiving grace. In 1 John, a couple chapters after our reading for tonight, it says this, we're already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. Can you show me that screen? For we will see him 
as he really is. Isn't this cool? In confession, do you know what God's doing? He's forgiving you. He's giving you grace, and it's amazing. But do you know what you get to know about yourself? In confession, Jesus reminds us that we get to be like him. Okay, so maybe your resume is not as good as somebody else. Maybe it's pretty exhausting for you to feel like you have to keep up with other people. Maybe you're feeling, falling into this temptation where you're always trying to compete with other people based on the virtues that you've accomplished or achieved. But Jesus says that no matter what your resume looks like, no matter what your win or loss record looks like, you get to be like him. And has there ever been a more impressive, more desirable, more loving, more influential, better individual that's ever lived than Jesus? And scripture is telling us, yes, we are sinners, but by the work and blood of Jesus Christ, we actually get to be made like him. See, our confession is not just therapeutic. It's not just word vomiting, but in instead it is actually God transforming us into the way that we always were supposed to be, like his son, because you are his son, because you are his daughter, redeemed and loved and restored and reconciled by his one true son. In confession, Jesus is reminding us that we get to be like him. So we handle guilt in not so great ways, but here's how God does it, ready? We confess to God and God forgives. And here are the best ways I can sum up how God forgives. God forgives instantly. Everyone say, instantly. God forgives instantly. God forgives completely. Everyone say, completely. God forgives repeatedly. God forgives repeatedly. 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 And God forgives readily. I don't have one for that. But it's good, isn't it? Instantly, completely, repeatedly, readily. If you don't believe me, just look at all the passages and verses that we looked at tonight. God's not waiting to see if your apology is good enough. You are already his child. In our confession, he's reminding you, you don't have to live like you're not. You are already his child. If I'm going to put a really theological blanket over this night, I'm going to tie it into the rest of everything that we've talked about in this worship series. Ready? In confession, we're not appeasing God. We're not impressing God. We are returning to the waters of our baptism where God said, you're mine. And we enjoy the feast of all of God's gifts and riches and nourishment for our soul at his table in communion. And because of that is why we lift our praise to him and sing out to him. And repeatedly, over and over again, he will instantly, completely, and readily forgive you. Receive his forgiveness tonight as we enter into communion. It was on the night when Jesus was betrayed that he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples to eat. He said, take and eat. This is my body. It's given for you and for the forgiveness of sins. Then again, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks. He poured it out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you and for the forgiveness of all sins. There's nothing that you could be found out about that would remove you from his love, that would remove you from his forgiveness and his grace. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of him.
Let's go ahead and pray these words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Don't wait. Come forward. I mean, do wait, because the ushers are going to come down and dismiss you aisle by aisle. You know how that goes. But don't wait to confess to God. Confession, it's the easiest thing in the world. It's just say, God, you know me better than I know myself, but you like me better than I like myself. So I'm going to trust you with everything that I've done, everything I haven't done. And I'm going to trust that you're still going to call me child. Because you would go to the ends of the earth. You would walk into death and you'd come out alive just to show me that you want me to be a part of your family. As we confess, we return to the place where God calls us his children. So come forward, receive his riches, all of his goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's so good. And now he's calling you good too. Amen. We all fall. This is Jesus' way of getting us back up.